you so much, Greg and Sue, as well, just for this amazing opportunity. Jen and I are both so excited to be here um, and very honored to be able to share the good news with everyone this morning. We've both been so blessed by Emmanuel Church and the ministry that we've been under here um, and just experienced so many radical revelations of God's goodness and His love. Um, and just in the prep leading up to this, Jen and I have just both been absolutely blessed by by just prepping for this. And we've just, I think every day, Jen and I have messaged each other like, yo, on the way to work today, I just received this amazing revelation. And we can't wait to share a lot of that with you guys this morning. So our topic that we're going to be talking on this morning is, is Abba Father, Daddy God. Um, and when I go to the next slide now, I'll just share a bit of a background as to where this came from. But basically a few weeks ago, I had a, I had a prophetic word during worship where God was just reminding me of when Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then God gave me four pictures that resembled elements of Jesus that, that we can now see, in the, that, that we see in the Father that Jesus has revealed to us. And Greg, I'm so glad you shared your testimonies this morning because I want to show you how every single thing that you said in your testimony is what came up. Oh, jump the gun. This thing is sensitive. <laughs> Still jumped it. Okay, there we go. Redeemer is what we're going to be talking about as well, as you spoke about the man with the car needing salvation and redemption. The Prince of Peace in the situation, you spoke about that, that Psalm 46. And then as the provider with, with the provision coming through and getting that contact, managing to get through the top of We Buy Cars. And then as the healer for the cancer story. So, so Jen's going to kick us off with the Redeemer. Over to you, Jen. Thanks. Um, so first off, I also want to honor Greg and Sue. Um, honestly, we've been so blessed by them. Um, when we did the marriage course with them, they have such a wealth of knowledge. And honestly, we couldn't have asked for a better start to our marriage. So I just want to honor you guys for that. And also for the first, um, the first time that the next generation is taking over, um, next week and we've realized how much work truly goes into these services because we're taking over everything from <laughs> from worship to preaching to everything and I actually saw the list of all we need to make sure we have and I was like wow Sue and Greg and the rest of the team thank you for all you do for us every single week it's a absolute privilege to be in your church so thank you for that and I just want to honor you guys and Greg you are an incredible leader I actually said to my dad the other day, you are one of the best leaders I've ever met. So I just wanted to honor you. <clears throat> yeah. And to the worship team, honestly, I was so blessed this morning. Thank you. It was incredible. Um, so let's kick off with Jesus, our Redeemer. So this, to me, is the most important aspect of God that we need to understand in order to have relationship with him. And for me, my personal testimony is that I grew up in a beautiful family, a beautiful Christian home, um, but I didn't quite understand my salvation. So I constantly uh, condemned myself, and as a result, that's uh, made me look at my performance and compare myself day by day on how I was performing instead of just knowing that God loves me no matter what. And so my personal testimony is that I understood the proper word of Redeemer and salvation only at the age of 21. Um, and 
before then I had such a mix-max match relationship with God because I was really living under my performance and the law, which is Old Covenant. Um, and so I really want <coughs> to preach on this today because I really think this is the most important aspect of God through Jesus that we need to understand. Um, and when James first started preaching to me about the fact that, you know, God can be our, our, our dad, as we said, Abba, Father, Daddy, God, um, my first reaction was, he's far too holy, far too worthy. How on earth could we see him as a dad? That's how I was under religion and couldn't, couldn't see him that way. Um, and James really had to pursue me <laughs> and have grace for me over that time. And it was actually uh, during a time of long distance, so it was through phone calls that he was trying to teach me this. And there's me shouting at him on the phone, like, no, babe, how can you say that? <laughs> um, yeah, and I had to really comprehend our redemption and guarantee at the cross. And it took a lot of grappling for me um, to really to re realize it. And when I finally did, um, I was a mess. I was on the floor <laughs> laughing. I was crying. And that was just from understanding it with James. And then again, when I went away with friends, it was actually Cam and Watson. And they showed me it in scripture. I was a mess again because I was like, it's all true. What James told me is actually true. <laughs> um, yeah. So let's look at a story from the Bible of the Samaritan woman at the well. Okay, so in John 4, verse 4 to 15, it says, but he needed to, and I've highlighted the words needed to there for a reason, to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat by the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become, become in them, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And then it goes on in John 4 verse 25 after he goes on to prophesy her life story of knowing that she had had five husbands. It goes on to say in John 4 verse 25 to 26, I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And in John 4, verse 28 to 30, then leaving her water jar, that's important, she left her water jar. She no longer needed that water. She had a new holy water that she was going, she actually forgot about the jar because she was now filled with living water. Um, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Okay, so a little bit of context is that traditionally Jewish men were not seen to be converse, conversing with women. He spoke to a Samaritan and traditionally 
Jews had no dealings with Samaritans at the time. In John 4 verse 9, every Jew would take the torturous trek through Galilee to avoid the Samaritans. He spoke to a woman who was a known adulteress. Okay, so now, let's look at how this is depicting, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. <clears throat> okay, so a woman, a Samaritan, a sinner, but Jesus spoke to her. He didn't allow her sin of adultery to get in the way of offering her a life in salvation and a life uh, in eternity. Um, and the same way that he offered this to the Samaritan woman, your sin cannot get in the way of your relationship with God. In fact, it says, he remembers our sins no more in Hebrews 8 verse 12. So he literally forgets them. Past, present, and future sins, he forgets them. And so that cannot impact your relationship with God. It cannot waver due to your sin. And that's what I didn't understand when I was younger. Um, then the words needed to, in the verse that I highlighted to you earlier, shows how much urgency Jesus had to go see the Samaritan woman. He knew the condemnation and the shame that she was under, and as a result, he had to go this path. He didn't want to go the way that the disciples all were going to tell him. He had to go through Samaria, even though it was a, it was a different route, and they usually took the torturous trek because of all the barriers between them culturally. Um, so he pursued her, and he pursues us. And then he humbles himself by asking her if she, the Samaritan woman, would pour him a glass of water. And that was actually to break the barriers and to show her that they're equal, like she, she's able to pour him a glass of water. He's not considering all the things that they would have both been thinking in that moment yeah. to break the barriers. Um, so he wants, um, he wants relationship, and that's the way he found relationship with her before he pursued her heart. Okay, so do you feel as though you are living under guilt or any condemna condemnation the way I was feeling um, at the time before I was 21? <clears throat> so Jesus hasn't changed the same way that he was for the Samaritan woman, the same way we read in those scriptures now, how beautifully he spoke to her, how he pursued her, how he wanted relationship with her and told her her sins are forgiven. That is what he wants for you too. He doesn't want you to live under any guilt and condemnation. It was freely given to us at the cross to no longer have that. I was only under the law in the old covenant. Um, yeah, so he knows the suffering and shame and struggles you're going through right now. He knows it, and he wants your heart to come to him and not be worried about any guilt you might be feeling. Okay. Okay, and the shame that you feel is actually the devil that reminds us of our sin and might tell us you're undeserving because he's creating the separation. God's not creating the separation. It's the devil coming into your body and telling you, feel guilt, feel shame. You aren't worthy. That's the devil. Um, but it says in Romans 8 verse 1, therefore there is now no condemna condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So it's the devil's ultimate tool. God cannot see your sin. And this is the gift that causes us to sin no more. And you see this in the Samaritan woman at the well. 
how she went on and just preached Jesus to everyone. And she was completely changed forever and just needed to keep renewing her mind to who she is. Um, so we need to understand his grace and compassion. Discover his forgiveness and freedom and renew your mind to this daily. He is the ultimate redeemer. So I'm now going to hand over to James, who's going to discuss Prince of Peace. Cool. Thank you so much, Jen. Um, the second picture that I had was Prince of Peace. And what the picture that God gave me for this was Jesus sleeping in the boat with the disciples amidst a big storm. There we go. So the story picks up in the Gospel of Mark just after Jesus has been preaching to the thousands on the shoreline. He was preaching from a boat that had been pushed out a little bit off the shore and he was obviously facing the, the sand and everyone was gathered and he's preaching to the thousands. And Jesus was preaching in parables and I felt to highlight two parables that Jesus spoke on First one was the parable of the sower. In this parable, we read that a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some of the seeds fell on rocky ground with very little soil. It grew, but was scorched by the sun because it had no depth. Some of the seeds then fell among thorns and were choked out by the thorns. Some seeds fell and were planted on good soil where they produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. The point of this parable being that we need, to be dupli, uh, dupli. we need to be deeply rooted and grounded in the word and the promises of God. The other parable was the parable of the mustard seed. In this parable, Jesus compares the kingdom of God to that of the grain of a mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of seeds on the earth, but yet it gives rise to a big tree that has many branches that extend out, which birds can come and nest in and provide shade. And as you all know, trees are the givers of life. I can't help and read anything in the Bible about a mustard seed and not think of when Jesus tells us that if we have faith the size of a mustard seed, we can tell mountains to move and they will obey. After preaching to the thousands on the shore, um, Jesus and the disciples decided to go across to the other side and so they hit out, headed out in their boat, and a couple of other boats went along with them. And we then read in, sorry, I'm still getting used to this. There we go. Read in Mark 4, verses 37 to 39, that a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. I think that for, for many of us, we can find ourselves in similar situations when you may be in a great windstorm, and you could have a similar cry to the disciples, Jesus, where are you? Can't you see what I'm going through? Jesus is with you, and he will provide a great calm, just as we have seen in the scripture. That's why I highlighted in the first line there, a great windstorm, opposed to the, the end line, a great calm. So one of the questions that I ask myself is, as we go into the next one, why was Jesus sleeping? 
I did a bit of research and I saw one of the, one of the theories was that Jesus was simply tired. He had, been sle- he had been preaching to thousands of people on the shoreline and he was exhausted. Jesus was fully man and experienced the same fatigue that we may feel if we are tired. If we've had a hard day working, I may feel tired. Um, but when I close my eyes and I try to think of the situation that, that Mark has painted for us here, I think of Jesus sleeping secure in his identity with the Father, not having a single fear of the wind and waves around him. I want to highlight that in all of the parables that Jesus was preaching to the thousands on the shoreline, um, or at least the two that I highlighted, there were two key themes that I want to point out. Those two being that we need to be deeply rooted in the promises and filled with faith. I found it incredible that Jesus embodied exactly that in the boat. He was deeply rooted in the promises of God, knowing that he was going to get to the other side safely, and he was filled with faith. Peace, be still, and there was a great calm. Peace is not the absence of trouble in your life. It's possible to be in crazy situations in your life with everything going wrong, but you can experience supernatural peace. The next line is almost looking at that on a flip side. You can't use external surroundings to permanently influence the turmoil that you're feeling inside. So if you are at unrest, a holiday is not going to fix that for you. Only Jesus can bring supernatural peace and supernatural rest. I just, sorry, I'm just feeling to highlight the scripture. I will provide rest to your weary soul as well. And I think that, I mean, that's, that's an old, old covenant or Old Testament scripture, but that was prophetic to Jesus coming and providing our souls with rest. I love the way that Paul Ellis puts it. He says, I've learned to hasten into the Lord's rest. Now when troubles come, my default reaction isn't, what can I do to fix this? But what does the Holy Spirit say? I'm learning to sit before I stand. And when I do, my heart is at rest. Oh, jumping the gun again. Sorry. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, But I'm, I'm not advocating that when you are in a turmoil situation that we just lie down and wait for God to take over, for this huge miracle to come in and we do nothing and we just like get lazy. And the gospel of grace is there to empower us to live in, and, and to live in union with Jesus and the Holy Spirit as our wise counselor. And we will get through those situations with Jesus by our side and he will bring a great calm. His grace has empowered us to push through. As a born-again believer, this place of rest is our default. Panic and fear should no longer form part of who we are. We are one with Christ. He is the vine, and we are the branch. I'm going to pass on to Jen, and she's going to share on Jesus as the provider. Okay, so it's a great honor to actually share on this topic because I feel like in the, the world today when groceries are as expensive as they are, <laughs> James and I are currently just witnessing that. <laughs> only, only two and a half months of marriage and we're like, 
Yo, do we go to spa? We, we really love Woolies Mayo. <laughs> um, yeah, but I also want to highlight that actually provider isn't only for our finances. Um, it's for everything in between, every, every one of our needs. Um, and a little testimony that I have is that, which shows how he's our provider, is that I was once on my way using Google Maps um, to visit my friend in Hillcrest, and I was on a random village road um, in the middle of nowhere. I had no idea how I would get to my friend's house. My phone died, and I was like, oh no, and I just stopped wherever I was on this random road, and I uh, just put my hazards on, and I was like tearing up. I didn't know what to do, and I just started praying. Within a minute, a police car drove past me. <coughs> not even a minute of feeling turmoil, not even. That actually makes me a little bit teary. <laughs> um, and I was just praying, and he drove past me, actually, and I was like, oh, no. And then he reversed back, and he rolled down his windscreen, and as I described it, it actually it felt like the face of Jesus, like an angel. It wasn't, I don't even know if this man was a real policeman or if he was just, just an, a heavenly angel. Um, but basically, he rolled down his window, and he asked me what's wrong, and I not many policemen do that, guys. Not many would actually stop and, and check up on you. Um, and he had literally the best smile I've seen on a person in a very long time. Um, and um, he, he said, what's wrong? And I said, my phone's died. I have no idea how to get to my friend's house. He said, what, what is the address? And I told him. <coughs> and he took me all the way there. I followed him the whole way. Oh, wow. so and that just shows you how he's our provider in other situations and not just finances. Yeah. And he came to me within a minute. He didn't let me be crying and praying for more than a minute before he came to fetch me. And that policeman was not on a main road. It was a random, small village-type road. He, he shouldn't have been there, basically. You know what I mean? Um, so that really is a cool story of how he's provider. Okay, so let's look at Matthew 6, verse 26. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And if your heavenly Father feeds the birds of the air, how much more will he feed you, his precious, beloved child? And in Luke 12, verse 6, it says, Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? So in, in Israel at the time, sparrows were sold, and you could actually get the fifth one for free. It was usually one coin gets you two, but they were so cheap, and just everyone uh, could buy them that it was Five, um, five for two. Um, and in Matthew 10, verse 29, it says, Yet not one of these birds falls to the ground without the Father's knowledge. So when one sparrow falls to the ground and passes away, God knows. So in Matthew 10, verse 31, it says, Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So if your Father cares for those cheap, common birds... How much more does he care for you and how much more does he want to provide for you? Yeah. If you think about it, every single animal in this world is provided for by our loving dad. They don't have money. How much more is he going to provide for you, the ones that get to experience relationship with him, unlike the animals? Okay, so Joseph Prince makes an awesome analogy between being demand or supply oriented 
he says he was speaking to God once and he got this revelation from him and Jesus said to him, when you are conscious of my constant supply to you, you are living under grace. Conversely, when you are, are conscious of the demand put on you to achieve, you're living under the law. So being demand-oriented is I'm thinking, I must do this, I must do that. But when you are supply-oriented, you see the supply from God providing what is needed in your situation, and you feel peace. And I'm not saying this is easy, but this is what we called to do. And we need to continuously renew our minds to this. Okay, so you might say, why don't I see the supply then? And the answer to that is actually simply worry. Simply worry. Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 31 to 32, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. And what I want to highlight as well is that it's actually not only our needs, it actually is also our wants that Jesus wants to provide us with. Um, yeah, that's just a small addition. Um, therefore, that answer is simply worry. Wake up each morning and instead of feeling stressed and worried, say thank you, Jesus, for your abundance of supply for this new day and allow the Holy Spirit to guide you in your decisions. Okay. Now, this is an interesting one. Faith takes from the greater one. So usually the word take has a bit of like negative connotations, but with God, it's a beautiful connotation. So Joseph Prince again says, grace supplies, love gives, and faith takes. So what is our part as believers? It's to take from the greater one. He's our supply. We don't take from him once. We have to continuously keep taking from him. In Luke 9, verse 16, it says, And he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to the heaven, he blessed them and broke them, and gave them to the disciples again and again. He gave them to the disciples again and again to serve the crowd. So where was the multiplication taking place? In the disciples' hands or in Jesus' hands? And they had to keep taking from him. They had to keep going back for more bread and more fish to feed the thousands. And in Matthew 14, verse 20 to 21, it says, they all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, besides women and children. So more than 5,000 people ate. And his supply was abundantly more, 12 basketfuls extra, than they needed. So if you're worried about how God is going to supply this for you, remember this story. Okay, so, receive your supply. Keep going back to God because he keeps on giving. He does not stop giving. Whatever your situation may be, keep going back to him. The Lord provides his grace and fresh supply for you day by day, so don't worry about tomorrow. Okay. I'm now going to hand over to James to talk on God as our healer, or Jesus as our healer.
Okay, cool. I think for the sake of time, I'm gonna go try, try go quite quickly through the last, the last point. Um, the points on healing. Um, Jesus was, so the picture that I got here, sorry, was, um, was Jesus healing the man who is paralyzed, um, sleeping on the mat. Jesus was visiting Jerusalem and went to the pool of Bethesda where he saw the paralyzed man lying on his mat who had been waiting for 38 years to experience his healing. The pool of water was believed to have healing power that the first person in the water when it churned and bubbled up would be healed. In the, in the story, as we read on in the scriptures, you'll see that Jesus approaches this man and asks him, and he says, do you want to be healed? And the man was almost caught up in, in his own, I don't know, you, you can call it in his own performance, but he was almost confused, and he, he didn't know that this was Jesus talking to him as well. And he says, I've tried, I've tried, I can't get to the water. I mean, keep in mind, he's paralyzed. And so he can't get in the water ahead of everyone else when it churns up and bubbles up to receive his feeling, uh, feeling, his healing. And he says, all the others are going in ahead of me and no one's helping me get in the water. Jesus then says to him in, get to the next slide. Oh my, text is a bit small in the PowerPoint chair, sorry. <laughs> in John 5 verse eight to nine, Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. I just love how simple Jesus makes it. It's not a big fancy prayer. It's get up, pick up your mat, and walk. I'm going to show you, I think it's this next one. This is from The Chosen, and it just beautifully displays this interaction. How cool is that? So cool to see the reaction and the joy just bubbling out of him as he's been healed. Um, as you read on a bit further in the scriptures, we see that the Jewish leaders actually began to prosecute Jesus for having done this, breaking the Sabbath. And he was also claiming to be the son of God. And they saw this as blasphemy. Um, and Jesus' response to them in John 5, verses 16 to 19, there he says, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what, the father, sorry, what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. That just ties back to, to Jesus coming to reveal the Father. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. I'm going to try to go quite quickly through, through this. And this is for Jesus healing the leper. In Matthew 8, verses 1 to 2, when Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Just a bit of quick context is that those people with leprosy back in the day, it was believed that leprosy was almost brought upon them because they had sin in their life. And they were cast out and it was almost like, I was saying to Jen, it's almost like, you know, when people had COVID and you would like keep your distance, like, and that was the way society dealt with COVID. And I'd imagine it would be a similar thing with leprosy because it was an infectious skin disease. And so what's interesting here is that 
the leper approached Jesus for healing. He, he had faith that he, that he could be healed. But uh, on the next slide, uh, I've just been thinking about the possible reaction of the leper and the disciples, and that I was wondering like, if, if the disciples would have almost held Jesus back a bit, like just don't go too close to him, he's got this infectious skin disease, or if the leper kind of hoped that Jesus would heal him from afar and then be able to approach him. But we see that in verse 3, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Um, I often find that when, when I pray for other people, I can see healing so much easier than when I pray for myself. And it's, and it's interesting because, and I, well, I think about the reason, and it's the accuser telling you, you, you don't deserve this healing, you aren't worthy of the healing. But then if, if you turn to the cross, Jesus says, I've paid the price for your healing. You are righteous, you are holy, and my body was broken and bruised so that you can be made whole and that you can be healed. So Jesus has paid the price already, and you have been made worthy of God's healing. Um, God's will is always to heal. In Matthew 4, verses 24, news about him spread as far as Syria, and people soon began bringing him all who were sick. And whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. His desire is for us to work. Sorry, not work. It's not. His desire is for us to live in perfect health. That's his desire, and his will is always to heal. We are in a broken and fallen world, as Greg mentioned earlier this morning when he was leading us in worship as well. There is turmoil in the world. It is a broken and fallen world, but we have the solution. We have Jesus. Sorry, let me go back on quickly. I'm going to share a very, very quick testimony. Um, when, when we were at Varsity, we, had, we used to call it Fridays at 1. We used to meet at, in Stenenbosch, we had, uh, Ab Absa Bank had a lounge with like big bean bags and cushions. And we used to go and meet there in the lounge at Absa Bank <laughs> at 1 o'clock every Friday, a bunch of us believers, and we used to just share the good news. And I remember once a good friend of ours had fallen in, and I think, I think if I remember how she got injured, she had fallen and hidden her head on the back of a windowsill and had been experiencing bad migraines from this and she asked us to pray for her healing. We laid hands on her. There was a big bump on her head. Like, you know when you get hit with a hockey ball or a cricket ball or something, you get an egg on your head. She had an egg on her head and but she had asked us to pray for her migraines. So we said, cool, we're gonna pray for your migraines. But God is our provider and he wants us completely healed and whole. We laid hands on her and prayed. We could not find the bump afterwards. Just migraines gone and the egg had completely gone. Um, so Jen's gonna wrap it up for us um, and yeah, close it off. Okay, so what does this mean? After looking at all of these stories of Jesus, how do we get to relate to God as a result? And I hope that if you were the same as me and you sort of still pictured God as 
a God that looked down at you, possibly with a finger pointing and um, was really judging you. I hope that this um, preach has shifted your view on who God is as your loving dad um, because it will completely shift and change your relationship with him. He's no longer looking down at you with a pointy finger the way that it had to be done because there was no other solution. Forgiveness was only found through the law in the, new co- in the old covenant. So I hope and pray that this preach has shifted your mindset to viewing him in a new light by looking at all of these stories of Jesus. Um, so now how do we get to relate to him and see him? Um, he walks beside you and he lives within you in the form of the Holy Spirit. He provides comfort to you in the form of an embrace when you're in trouble as your Prince of Peace. The one who is your provider, your supply, and your endless giver. Remember to take. The one who has redeemed you from your sin, past, present, and future, and made you completely righteous, blameless, and worthy. And the one who has made you a new creation. So receive your healing. The, um, the point of healing was that you're a new creation. You have Jesus in you. You are healed past tense. The new creation is who you now are. We cannot say, okay, it's fine. I'll live with the sickness. We have to pray into it. God doesn't want you to be living with it. His will is to heal you. Um, And the one who has made you, made you whole. And um, your healing is a, a guarantee.